Good morning, good morning. Would you stand to your feet across the building as we welcome, in just a few moments, our uh, guest speaker this week. And uh, we are so blessed and so honored to have a wonderful man of God with us who is not only, not only loves Jesus, but loves the Word of God. And uh, his name is Robert Martin. Everybody should say, hi, Robert. Come on, everybody say, hi, Robert. His name is Robert Martin, Brother Robert Martin, and he's been preaching since he has been 14 years old. He grew up in the Church of God. He grew up in the Church of God and has been preaching since he's 14, and he's been to over, he's been to over 30 countries preaching. And so uh, he is not only a man of God, he's a skilled man of God. And I listened to him a few, I think it was last year, right? Last year at Oasis Church and... Uh, was, he was such a great blessing, and so I want him to come at this time without any further ado, and would you give him a great big Christ Point welcome this morning? Put your hands together and welcome him. Come on, let him know how much you appreciate him today. Praise the Lord. Amen. You can be seated. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin then opened the life gate that all may go in. Do you know it? Praise the Lord, praise the Lord let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give Him the glory, great things He has done. Can we give the Lord a praise this morning? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. Amen. Amen. How many call Christ Point Church your church? This is your church. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hear me, friends. There's not two congregations here. There's not the ones that come Sunday morning and then the revival crowd. Amen. Your church is having church tonight at 6 o'clock and tomorrow at 7 and Tuesday at 7. And I want you to be here with your church family. Praise God. Hallelujah. The Lord laid it on the heart of your pastor for revival. And we believe God's going to do great and mighty things. So do your best effort to be here, and I believe the Lord will meet with us and reward us. I heard a, a definition this week of revival that I thought was so powerful. People ask, what is revival? And this is one definition that I thought was so powerful. B.H. Clendenin said, revival is a divine intervention in the normal course of religion. It is God revealing himself to man in awful holiness and irresistible power. Revival is such a manifest working of God that human personalities are overshadowed and human programs are abandoned. It is man retiring to the background and God taking the field. Revival is God making bare His mighty arm and working in extraordinary power on both saint and sinner alike. How many want God to do that this week? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I have a prayer group that uh, has, has covenanted to intercede for the ministry God's called me to. And I put on, on our chat this morning, I said, pray that we have more than good services. 
I don't know about you. I didn't come for any gimmicks, any theatrical performances, anything dramatized. We've come to hear from God. Amen. Praise the Lord. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Isaiah chapter 5. I'm honored to be here in this house of faith, this house of the Word of God and the presence of God. I'm thankful for your pastor, to Sister Tiffany, amen, to the whole team, and looking forward to what God has in store for us. Amen. Isaiah chapter 5. If you would briefly stand with me to your feet for the reading of God's Word, it will be on the screen as well. We'll read two passages in Isaiah. And the Bible says, Woe unto them that rise up early in the morning, that they may follow strong drink, and that continue until night, till wine inflame them. And the harp and the veal and the tabret and pipe and wine are in their feasts. When the Bible says, Woe unto them, it's God pronouncing judgment upon something. He's saying, Woe unto those that pursue intoxication. Woe unto them that pursue a distraction made with a party of noise on the outside. But they regard not the work of the Lord, neither consider the operation of His hands. Therefore, my people are gone into captivity. And if you'll allow me the, the latitude to give a paraphrase. My people are gone into quarantine because they have no knowledge. My people are closed off, are isolated because they have no knowledge. Anybody who knows anything about languages knows that English is unique in that we have one word knowledge to know information. ABC, one, two, three, and the same word to say, I know uh, Pastor Josh. But in most languages of the world, it's a difference to say, I know information than to say, I know in relationship. And God is saying, my people, my people have gone into a shutdown, a distant place because they do not know me. That word knowledge there is a personal word. And their honorable men are famished and their multitude dried up with thirst. Isaiah 24, verse 7 and 8. He said they did not know me and so they went into a party and they went after the intoxication of substances. But in Isaiah 24, he talks about the, the substances ran out and the noise of the party ended. It said the new wine mourneth, the vine languisheth, and all the merry hearted do sigh. The mirth of tabrets ceaseth and the noise of them that rejoice endeth and the joy of the harp ceaseth. What do you do? When all the things that you turn to to make you happy no longer bring you happiness. What do you do when the party is over? What do you do when you're shut down, your business is shut down, your classroom is shut down, your church service is shut down? When a nation goes into quarantine, when souls go into quarantine, God speaks to his people, you got to come back to knowing me. you got to come back to knowing me. Father, we thank you for your word. We invite your presence to deal with us as only you can. Lord, we pray that you would challenge us to draw near to you. God, by your blood, we come to your throne. Father, lift up those that are low this morning. Heal us, God, of the discouragement of the age we live. And let us, God, regain our shout of victory. And we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. And God's people said amen. Amen. You can be seated. I was uh, preaching not too long ago up in Chillicothe, Missouri. It's way, way north of here, up uh, two hours northeast of, um, of Kansas City. I had preached there a year and a half earlier, and the pastor has four little kids. 
I, if the pastor has a family, I don't even like staying at the hotel. I said, I want to live in the, I want to live in the mess of kids running around the house and getting, getting in trouble. And, and I love that. I love that crazy home environment. How many of y'all live in a crazy home environment? Amen. I just love it. And so the pastor let me stay with them. And, uh, but after a year and a half, me coming back to the church, I thought, I wonder if the kids will even remember me. You know, it takes a little while for kids to warm back up to you after they haven't seen you in a while. And so I'm driving up from Kansas City. As I pull in the driveway of the pastor's house, the pastor didn't come out. The pastor's wife didn't come out. But all four of those kids came running out the door. Amen. The, the youngest one, the little girl, Lanny, probably six or seven years old, she was running the fastest. She was like John. She outran Peter. And she got to me. And she, as soon as I opened the door, wouldn't let me to get out. Just climbed up in the car with me. Uncle Rob. Robert, Uncle Robert, we missed you. Uncle Robert, that's better than Brother Robert. I like that. Amen. Pastor Josh needs to have some little ones that will call me Uncle Robert. Praise the Lord. And so, and so I go inside and we're hanging out. And uh, I'm in the living room not very long. Little Lanny goes to her bedroom and pulls out a picture of me and her that she has put in a picture frame that's on the dresser in her room. Come on, somebody. I expect all of y'all to do the same thing after this revival. I'll be taking pictures in the foyer, and uh, and and I love it. I love it. But the next one up from Lanny is um, is Layton, and Layton is uh, I I don't know maybe uh, maybe eleven or twelve years old. And, and he kept looking over my shoulder like all little kids do when you're on your phone or your tablet. And he kept asking me this: "You got games on your phone? How many of little kids are always looking for something to play? You got games on your phone?" I said, no, I don't really have any games on my phone. He's like, oh, I, could, I could download games on your phone. What's your password? I'm not telling you my password. You weird little kid, get away from me. And so he kept creeping up over my shoulder when I'd unlock my phone or my, or my, uh, my iPad. And I don't know about you. I don't have Alzheimer's, but I have some timers, which means sometimes it doesn't work. And so those of you that have 16-digit passwords to stuff, I don't know how you remember that. You're a superhero in my book. I've got four numbers. It's the same for my PIN code on my debit card. It's the same four digits. Anybody in any world, anywhere that says you need four digits to, to, to unlock, it's, it's the only one. I've had it since I was 16 years old. Lord, I hope I don't get an identity theft situation. I won't know what to do if somebody breaks into my four digits. And he's looking over my shoulder and he says to his brothers and his sister in the living room, the first one's seven. I saw it. The first one's seven. This is weird. You should not be trying to break into somebody else's password. If you, if you were able to get my password to my phone, my, my cards are on there, my banking information, everything's there, all my, I, all my personal information's there. It wouldn't take you long to wipe me out, but how many no kids know how to download stuff, know how to buy to go to next levels on there, buy coins, buy, it wouldn't take me long, they'd wipe me out. Because if you gain password, you have entrance into what is there. Amen. Even if you don't have a lot of passwords in your life, and I don't know how you get by if you don't, I feel like everywhere we shop now, they want you to be a loyalty member, and then they're going to send you an email, and then you got to set up a profile, and then they're going to send you a coupon six months from now, and when you finally get good and ready to use one of their coupons, and you go to log in, they'll say it's been six months since you logged in, and you need a new password, so you got to press forgot password, and then they'll send you an update to an email address you don't even use anymore, and by the time you go back to that email account, and then they've got to refresh 
refresh, forgot password, update. I don't even, I don't lose my sanctification. When they ask me, would you like 10% off by joining our loyalty program? I want to say, can I pay 10% more to not have to log in to get a coupon I can never use and you won't send me an email that I'm just going to delete any? I'm feeling therapy for myself. I don't know if this is blessing you this morning. Hey man, it is frustrating to be locked out of stuff that you should have access to. And if it's not a password, it's just your keys. It's just your own house, your own car, your name's on the title deed. But if you can't find that key, it gets frustrating when you're locked out of something that belongs to you. From Genesis to Revelation, God has had a place for his people. He, He creates Adam, he goes east, and he plants a garden in Eden. God did not just disperse seeds. Uh, he, he meticulously curated a place with a babbling brook and a, and a, and a tree and a, a place for them to lie. He, he put everything in place that they would need. When we were evicted because of our sin, God called out an Abraham and said, I will prepare a promised land for you. Amen. It's a different sermon, but God didn't use normal people to build that promised land. God used giants to build that promised land. The very thing they were afraid of were the ones that were sent to be the architects and the farmers. No wonder they had grapes the size of grapefruits. There was giants over there cultivating that land. God will prepare a place for his people. And in the New Testament, almost everything Jesus says, he says by saying the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like a sower that goes forth to sow. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. The kingdom of God is like a a king that went on a journey. What's he saying? He's saying, I have a place for you. But this place is not real estate. This place is where you belong in a kingdom that is in your heart. Hallelujah. How many understand in the day that we live, there are many people that though they have been born again, Though they've been washed in the blood, though they prayed the prayer in Sunday school at youth camp or in some service and wrote the date in the back of their Bible, they got baptized in water and they took communion, it seems as though they're sitting on the curb of the kingdom of God and they're not accessing what Jesus died for them to have. It's a simple question, but it's heavy to ask this. Are you living in the fullness of what he died for you to have? Are you living in the fullness of what Jesus died for you to have? Come on, John 10 and 10. The thief cometh not before to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and that you might have it just to get through. Just, just a little bit to help you pass through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Just, to, just enough to survive. No, I said I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Have it to the full. So are you living in the fullness? Somebody say the fullness. That's what revival's about. It's about going after the fullness of what God has for us. We live in a day that Daniel prophesied the spirit of the Antichrist would come and wear out the saints of the Most High God. How many know people are exhausted more than they've ever been? We're going to have three days of revival, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. A lot of churches will book me on a Sunday morning. They haven't had revival in 15 years and say, why don't you just... Why don't you just stay over for Sunday night? You know, we don't have Sunday night. Just stay over for Sunday night. We'll call it revival. Revival? Two services? When my granddaddy was an evangelist, he said we started with two weeks. That was just the warm-up. That was just the launch pad. That was just a, that was just a getting off the ground spot. He said many a time we went for six weeks and all the other pastors knew they had to wait till we were done at the previous one before we could get to them. <laughs> Amen. We're too wore out for that kind of stuff. 
And it's not the wearing out of a 60 or 70 hour work week. It's the wearing out of a phone call you weren't expecting. It's the wearing out of the blood work report that gave the negative news. It's the wearing out of an emotional exhaustion that says, I don't even want to get out of bed. I don't want to get dressed. I don't want to go to the grocery store. I'm just wore out. How many know what I'm talking about? And he said there would come a wearing out of the saints of the Most High God. I wish that in this day of tired, wore out exhaustion that God would have thought about that in advance and prepared something for us. I wish God knew that there would be tired people in the last days and he would have provided something for us. Come on, I'm being sarcastic. I need you to work with me here. Oh, you mean he did? Oh, you mean in his word that he says that, that the joy of the Lord will be your strength and that you don't have to have 15 Red Bulls a day and two pots of coffee in the morning and the afternoon, that you can actually have strength that will carry you through all the discouragement, amen, and when the bankruptcy lawyer calls and when the bill collector calls and when you've got broken relationships, you mean that there's still strength in the presence of God and the reason y'all aren't shouting your boot heels off right now is because you're sitting on the curb and all of this is back in the kingdom and you're saying oh yeah it belongs to me my name is on the title deed to the whole thing amen but will you go into and access what you already belongs to you well how do I access that strength brother Robert I'm wore out this morning I'm glad you asked the way you get the strength of the Lord is the joy of the Lord how many know there's as many in the house of God that are struggling with depression anxiety panic, panic attacks as are out in that world Hey man, I wish God would have provided something for the discour discouraging age we live in. He did. He said in his presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. With joy will I draw from the well of my salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. So if you have an exhaustion problem, it's not a lack of caffeine problem. It's a lack of joy. Joy is your strength. So if you have a joy problem, depression, anxiety, pressure, stress, amen, it's not a sadness problem. It's a presence problem. Amen. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first my kingdom. You seek joy, you'll find a comedian that'll make you laugh and you'll still be wore out. Amen. You see something to distract you, you'll get on a Netflix series and still be wore out, still be discouraged. There's plenty of things in this world. I don't know. He's preaching about that verse. Woe unto them that go into wine and strong drink. I'm not afraid to stand in 2021 and say a born-again believer has no business in a liquor store, has no business chasing the intoxication of the world. But most people listening today in this room and online, amen, don't mind clapping to somebody shouting about alcohol but how many know we got plenty of other things we're intoxicated with you may not have got drunk on Budweiser you might have got drunk on Amazon.com Amen. You might have got drunk with a Visa, MasterCard, American Express, or Discover. Amen. Maybe you didn't spend yourself on a bar stool down till 2 in the morning or in a club, but you spent yourself on a vacation. Say, if I can just get to Disney, I'll get my joy back. Come on. I live in Orlando. That's my hometown. Mickey Mouse is my neighbor. I see all these pale people every week when I fly home, coming from Minnesota, Wisconsin, all these northern states. They've not seen the sun in 11 months. They get off the plane happy. They already got 
got their Mickey shirts on. I see them when they get back on the plane. When I'm flying out to preach somewhere, they didn't put on enough sunblock. They're they're toasted. They're not tan. They're toasted like a lobster. They didn't let their kids have any naps because they spent five thousand dollars a day to make sure they had the most epic vacation. No naps and too much sugar. Now the kids are crying because it's five o'clock in the morning. They wanted the cheap flight home. So now the kids are crying. They're tired. Too much sugar. When the kids are mad, mama's mad. Mama's mad. That makes daddy mad. He's kicking the stroller through the TSA security checkpoint and you spent all that money for what? It didn't bring joy. It didn't bring peace. There's nothing in that credit card, nothing at that mall, nothing on Amazon, nothing in a bottle, nothing in a syringe, nothing in a pill. No, but he said in my presence. He provided a place like he did for Adam and Eve. He provided a promised land like he did for Israel. And he provided access to this kingdom. Oh, I'm coming after somebody on the curb to say, go ahead and press, forgot my password. We're going to log back in. We're going to go back into the fullness of what he died for us to have how do we go in brother Robert I think they already cheated and put my put my, my, my title up to begin with so you know where we're going Psalm 100 says make a joyful noise unto the Lord all ye lands a noise not a thought not a Bible study where you study another Joyce Meyer, John Bevere book and sit around with a cup of coffee and ponder the depths of it, but you got to make a noise. Hallelujah. He says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Not grumbling, gladness. Know ye that the Lord, He is God. It is He that hath made us and not we ourselves. Hallelujah. If He made us and He's God, it means my praise is not dependent on the Republicans or the Democrats. It's not dependent on Wall Street. It's not dependent on what the doctor's prognosis or diagnosis. It is He that hath made us and not we are. It says, come before His presence with singing. Well, I want to come before his presence in a in dignified silence. How many are aware that in the day we live, there is an attack on voices all over our culture? People are silencing and canceling anything they, they disagree with. And I'm not just talking in the political arena. We went through a time where we had to wear some covering over water vapor. Man, that makes you suspicious of each other. It'll make you whisper so you don't talk too loud. Suspicious. We can't get around and pray with each other. We can't lift our voice and communicate. We've got a whole generation that if these, if these young people were honest, you ask a teenager, do you have a different talking voice than you have a texting voice? They will laugh with the obvious response, of course I do. Everybody does. And then that generation that has become more socially awkward, more afraid to stick out a hand, shake a hand, look eyeball to eyeball, and say, hello, how are you? Deathly afraid of human interaction, but will text, tweet, type, share, like, TikTok, do it all, Snapchat. I mean, there's a whole world of a technological communication. But we got to go old school this morning, back to what the psalmist said. Come before his presence with singing. He said, your praise will continuously be in my mouth. Hebrews 13 and 15 says, offer unto the Lord the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of your lips. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Come before his presence with singing. The password to the presence of God is your praise. 
I need you to hear me this morning because a lot of evangelists love to preach on praise because it's low-hanging fruit. It's an enthusiasm kind of cheerleading uh, service experience where by the end they're going to they're gonna count to three, get everybody to jump two times, shout hallelujah, and it'll feel like there was energy in the room. And that's not what I'm here for. I'm not, I've been in too many conferences and camps where I've, I've seen people trained to make a sound out loud, but it never changed the song in their heart. Ephesians 5 and 18 says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Again, he's saying, don't go to the intoxication and the distraction of anything else. How many understand people can even be distracted and intoxicated with religion? The noise of the tabrets ceaseth. The harp, the veal, the wine, it ran out. Man, if you were just coping through life, not with connecting with God, but connecting with religion, and all of a sudden that shuts down too. What do you do when you don't have your own song? He says, "Go get away from all that other intoxication and be filled with the Spirit. But verse 19 says, after you're filled with the Spirit, this is what it ought to do. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody unto the Lord with your heart. I've come to ask you this morning, not how loud do you sing, not what harmony part do you, do you sing, but is there a song in your heart? My granddaddy, when he was a young evangelist, before he got married, he said that everywhere he went, they thought evangelists should sing and preach. So they'd say, Walter, would you sing for us? Brother Caraway, would you sing for us? He said, I don't sing. I'm a horrible singer. I just came to preach, but please, please, just sing. Just try to sing. And so he said, I'm going to sing one song, and it'll be so wretched they'll never ask me again. Hopefully word will get around, and they'll never ask me again. He got up one night and started singing, it's a bubbling. It's a bubbling. It's a bubbling in my soul. Some of y'all sing it in children's church now. With singing and shouting since Jesus made me whole. Some folks don't understand it, but I can't keep it quiet. It's bubbling, 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 bubbling day and night. Now word got around that he sang it's a bubbling and every church he went to called him it's the bubbling evangelist and wanted him to sing it's a bubbling. He passed away in his 80s and we called granny and granddaddy and said would you sing it's a bubbling. Amen. All the way to the end. But that song got down in my spirit to teach me a a song doesn't just come from what on the screen or out of a book off of YouTube. A song comes from the heart. Hallelujah. When you don't go to the intoxication of substance, the distraction of entertainment, but you find yourself logged into the presence of God, then you have all that you need in His presence. Somebody say amen. Amen. In His presence is fullness of joy. At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Are you logged in this morning? He has given us the password to his presence. Over the last 12 months or more since, since the pandemic began, I have seen something. I don't know about you. I, th I thought I, I saw people posting when we come back to church after months of being out and in drive parking lot services and that first time we come back into the house of God we are going to take our liberty we are going to say I'm going to worship like I, I never take it for granted again people were posting crazy videos of what it was going to be like when we came back to church people coming down the aisle just yes hallelujah I'm back glory to God amen and when I came back it wasn't like that gloves distance every row separated roped off quarantine style you know like we got to be suspicious of everybody around us and I, I have come this morning to share with God's people that you can be in the building and not go in his presence. 
You can take up, this is the most Pentecostal communion service I've ever been to in my life. I loved it. Amen. But you can get the wafer and the juice and not log into his presence. And there's a whole generation, hear me young people, that is so intimidated and insecure about their voice. Not afraid to text it. Not afraid to tweet it. Not afraid to post it. But friend, you can't post it, share it, like it to get into his presence. You have to open your mouth. I heard of a deaf ministry in Ohio. Pentecostal church of, of mostly all deaf people. The preacher preaches in sign language. They do worship in sign language. I guess they turn up the music loud enough. They can feel the vibration of it. Amen. But that pastor said when we lay hands on them to get filled with the Holy Ghost, they speak in tongues just like everybody else. There is power in your mouth when you go into God's presence. The enemy knows that, which is why he comes with fear, intimidation, He's not just out to cancel and silence political voices. He's out to bring a silence into your voice. What happens when people have a disagreement and they're afraid of confrontation? They give each other the silent treatment. They avoid each other at work. They avoid each other at school. They avoid each other in the world. They'll cross the street. They'll go to a different aisle in the store. Or worse, even in a home, they can become subjects and days and time that will pass until frustration takes away the tones of love and interaction. Can I ask you, what has the Lord done that would deserve the silent treatment the church has given him? What has the Lord done to deserve our silent treatment? Brother Robert, didn't you hear us singing along? That is a wonderful aspect of worship when someone leads you into the presence of God. But what about your song? What about your voice? What about your shout? What about your praise? Is there a melody in your heart this morning? I love in that, in that passage in Psalm 20, Isaiah 24, it said that the noise of the tabrets ceaseth. I don't know, most churches have outlawed tambourines. They won't let them in a five-mile radius. I went to one church. I said, y'all got a tambourine? They said, we got seven of them locked in a filing cabinet. Nobody can have them. They play them off beat. They mess up everything. Nobody will use them anymore. But there's something about a tambourine. You, uh, uh, the noise of the tabrets, that's the little round pieces on a tambourine. You don't play a tambourine at a funeral. I mean, unless you're really Pentecostal and they went to heaven and you're glad about it. Amen. You don't play a tambourine in prison. The Bible says that when Moses came out of Egypt and all those hundreds of thousands and maybe upwards of three millions crossed over the Red Sea, that he wrote a song and Miriam's sister picked up a tambourine and began to sing, the horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. You know why we don't like a tambourine? It is loud. It is obtrusive. It is almost violent. It disrupts people's calm. It wakes people up. Amen. You, 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 if you want to calm, docile praise, friend, it's because you've not had the explosion of freedom that can come when chains come off. Generational curses are broken. Addictions are canceled. Amen. Nothing less will do. Not a hum. Not a mumble. Amen. They picked up tambourines and said the horse and the rider has been thrown into the sea. There's something that changes when you give God a shout of praise. There's something that changes when you give your voice permission to utter something, even when it's uncomfortable. I've stayed in enough homes to know this scenario over and over, and it may have happened in yours as well. When it starts getting cold, and somebody gets up and goes to the thermostat and says, I'm going to bump it up. It's just been a little too cold in here. And there comes the voice of a dad all the way across that house and says, don't you touch that thermostat until you start paying the bill. Why? Because they know 
It costs something to change your temperature. I said it costs something to change your temperature. Amen. They'll tell you, put on another sweater, go get a blanket, go do something else, but don't you touch that thermostat. Hear me, friend. He said the sacrifice of praise. That means sometimes it costs you something. The fruit of your lips. Well, I'm going to do it my way. It may not work your way. Amen. But if you'll press for God password, God's going to remind you of his way. And his way is the best way. And you can come back, come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. You cannot come into his presence with a victim mentality. You cannot access his presence with grumbling and negativity. But if you come in and say, God, it was a hard week, but I'm still alive. Hallelujah. Amen. What we sang this morning, as long as I'm alive, God's not done. If I'm not dead, God's not. That's switching the voice. That's switching the sound. That's saying, amen. I had, I had a flat tire. Amen. I didn't feel good Monday, Tuesday. Wednesday. I had a migraine, but I got up. I got into God's presence. And now I'm going to come into his presence with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You want to go in his presence this morning? Man, if I was passing out free antidepressants and anti-anxiety and free alcohol, there'd be a line around this building saying, that's the kind of handout churches ought to be given. We don't need groceries. We need those substances. But we got something better than those substances. We have, hear me, hear me right here, friend. You can feel anxiety. I don't diminish that. It's real. You can feel pressure and stress bearing down. You can feel isolation and loneliness. You can feel all of the negativity of life. But there is another strength that is much stronger you don't just think about God you don't just ponder the philosophy of theology you can feel the Holy Ghost you can feel the forgiveness that comes like shackles come you can feel the liberty of his presence oh thank God hallelujah if you wanted one of them cerebral churches you would have stopped somewhere else and already been out by now but if you want to know the reality of God that's greater than anything else in this world go ahead open your mouth and give God a praise come on somebody log in right now we bless your name Jesus we glorify your name I'm unashamed of the sound of my voice hallelujah it doesn't have to be on key it doesn't have to be in harmony oh but I will bless the Lord at all time let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord hallelujah I feel challenged of God to come to his church in 2021 and say let's change the silent treatment and let's go into God's presence again amen this is what I've really come to share with you today. If the enemy knows the power of praise, and he does know it, then his purpose is to silence the artillery of God's people. Come on, any, any warfare anywhere in the world, they're not coming after the civilians that aren't fighting. They're coming after the military force. And not just the forces, they're coming after their missiles. They're coming after their weapons. <sighs> A church that is not engaged in the battle for souls. A church that is not engaged in the warfare of God bringing his kingdom into this place. is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. Amen. But when you declare war by going into God's presence, all of a sudden the enemy says, I got to take that out. I got to take that out. How does, he, how does he bring silence into our soul? There's people in this room, they love God. You love God. But if you are honest, it's cold when you worship. You read your Bible because you love God's word. But if you're honest, it's just a little too cold. You come into God's house. Some of you have been throughout this whole service. And if you'd be honest today, you'd say, Robert, I'm here. I got dressed. I've been coming. But man, it's just a little bit cold in my heart when I come into the house of God. And we'll look for something to blame it on. 
But friend, it may be time for you to change the thermostat. It may be time for you to say, God, I will not be lukewarm. I'll pay the price to change the atmosphere. What does that look like? It looks like a mama that doesn't doesn't go to griping and complaining and, 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 and overriding with, with, with a violent rage because her, her kids are acting up, but instead goes to pacing the floor saying, God, I claim my household and my children. God, I claim your promises and your word. Lord, you showed me your hand would be upon them, and you showed me, God, did you put a call on their life, and the devil cannot have you. So even though they're high, even though they're drunk, even though they're locked up, I'm going to praise you that you're still good. I'm going to praise you that even though they're falling, left them. You're a heavenly father that doesn't leave or forsake. I'm going to praise you that you're still, even if they come in at two o'clock in the morning, high and drunk and you don't know where they've been. You don't got to go in with negativity and bring all of that atmosphere. You can go to prophesying and say, baby, I done talked to God about you. You can run, but you can't hide. Amen. You thought you'd slip in at the midnight hour. I've been praying at the midnight hour. I've been praising at the midnight hour. I've been turned up the heat of the Holy Ghost in this house. Soberness will come in. Conviction will come in. That's how you change an atmosphere hallelujah I just thought of an old evangelist he just passed away last year brother James Routon was a great evangelist and he, he, he started many his revivals running seven laps around the building I'm talking about in the preliminaries before the Sunday school. You know, you used to come in, sing a song, and then be dismissed for Sunday school. He'd run seven laps just to warm the thing up. Well, I don't feel God yet. I'm saying you can, you can warm it up whether you feel him or not. You can change the atmosphere. You can touch the thermostat. And if the enemy knows you have power in violent, your worship being warfare, there's power in the artillery of your praise, then no wonder he's come to silence it. And this is what I've really come to tell you this morning. This is the strategy of the enemy. He will come to bring silence to your soul through trauma. Trauma. I'm not a psychologist and I've not come to preach anything deep along those lines, but I did hear the Lord tell me this in prayer. This is what trauma does. Trauma screams at you. Look at me and listen to me if you don't mind, friend. God wants you to hear this today. Trauma screams at you. Be small. Be quiet. And disappear. Trauma is when your emotions cannot cope with a scenario you find yourself in and life becomes survival instead of really thriving. You go into a survival. Like a prey being hunted by a predator, it knows if I crouch down into these leaves, if I become small, if I don't even move or shudder or make a noise, he won't hear me as the predator passes by. If I get so small that I blend in and it's almost like I've disappeared from sight, then I will survive. And trauma comes to steal your praise, your shout, your victory, your worship, your witness, your boldness. He comes to steal the abundant life that Jesus died to give you. And so all of a sudden things come into life. Something comes and steals the love of your life. Maybe they passed and you stand at the graveside. And even if it was years ago, you still haven't had a song ever since the moment at that graveside. It's real. It comes from the abuse of the past that even though that season is over, the trauma of it has multiplied in your mind has snowballed until there's anxiety, anticipation of pain in every relationship. The divorce, the broken home, trauma, lost a job. You, you, you felt so purposeful because you were paying the bills and you were paying down the debt, but then you got the pink slip 
And now you just sit there wondering, what good am I? I can't, I can't even pay for the stuff. I can't even put groceries on. What good am I? Trauma will come and it'll say, be small. Be quiet. Disappear. And people do more than go into their house and quarantine over COVID. They go in their house and they shut the curtains and they lock the door and they deadbolt it because, because trauma says you don't belong in this world. You're uncomfortable in every social setting. You don't belong anywhere. People know what you've done and what you've been through. They all judge you. They all look down upon you. It'd be better off if you just stay in the safety of your home. And so you try to make your influence small. Do you see how the enemy uses this? He tries to make your influence and your community. You, you isolate yourself from the very friends that can help pull you up and lift you up. Now you don't answer their calls. You don't respond to their texts. All in, a, in, in an effort to make you small. Even the living room is no longer comfortable for some people. They got to lock themselves in their bedroom. They don't feel comfortable around their own family. If you judge in their own house, go to the bedroom, stay in the bedroom. It's happening of a generation of teenagers. They'll take their dinner to their bedroom. They'll keep headphones on. They're comfortable online. They're comfortable in a video they'll scream on the call of duty they'll they'll scream on whatever warfare game they're playing but won't whisper in the back seat of a car how their day at school was quarantine shut down lockdown be small be quiet and the final stroke of the enemy says disappear there's godly people pillars of our churches that are struggling with suicidal thoughts and nobody knows about it oh covid didn't take them out no, no, no infection in their bloodstream or their respiratory system. But something of fear came in and began to choke the purpose of God and the life and the freedom of God out of them. In the past week, in the past three days, I've heard of two teenagers committing suicide. One 14 years old. What's, go what's going on? No purpose, no life. It's the enemy saying, disappear. All this stress and all this pressure. It'd be, you, you'd just be free of it. The world would be better off without you. You've already isolated enough trying to not be a bother to anybody, but you'd even just be a less of a bother if you left the world, if you took yourself as not just young people. 60-year-old sister in, in Oklahoma where I was preaching revival, I mentioned suicidal thoughts in a sermon. She came to me the next night. She said, nobody knew you were talking to me. I'm talking about a prayer warrior, a pillar of that church. She said, but God set me free in the altar last night. Hallelujah. The enemy comes in with trauma. Are you saying that me just making a noise with my mouth is enough? Hear me, friend. It's more than just that. When the enemy says be small, what does the Bible say? It says get big. Hallelujah. David said, I will lift my hands in the sanctuary. He already knew what happens when you come up against a big, a big adversary. Come on, a big nemesis, a big, a big evil person, a big evil giant, something in your life that says you are not able to cope with it. No, I'm not able. I'm little and he's big. Amen. But my God is big, so I'm not going to crouch in fear. Paul said I would that men would lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Brother Robert, I'm just trying to survive this service. To be honest, I feel a little bit uncomfortable with how you're screaming at me right now. I'm in a little bit of a coping phase right here. This, make, this makes me want to be small, go home, and not even come back tonight. I know because I'm coming for you. I'm coming to tell you you've been wrapped up and crouched down for too long. And not just sisters and not just teenagers, but men, if you'll pay the price. I know that 
there's fear in your house. I know that you've not been perfect. Oh, but still the Bible said I would that men would lift up hands. Get big in the face. Somebody throw up both hands. Uh, oh, you got a bad, bad report from the doctor, but throw up both hands. Hallelujah. Oh, the bank account doesn't look right, but throw up both hands. You've got anxiety, but throw up both. Get big when the devil says get small. Lift up both hands. God in me is greater than that which greater is he that is in me than he that is against the world hallelujah i'm not coming to be a cheerleader i'm coming that the 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 voice of god the strength of god will again be logged into by the song in your soul and then the enemy says be quiet be quiet if you don't want your goldfish to survive then put it in an empty aquarium And if you tell that goldfish, you be good today, I'll give you water tomorrow, that is a wonderful recipe for dead goldfish. And Psalm 22 and 3 says, O thou that inhabitest the praise of Israel. He says, you want my habit? You want me to come? Build me a habitat. Nothing more depressing than going to a a low-budget zoo where a mighty creature like a Bengal tiger is pacing back and forth in a 10-by-5 concrete-barred prison cell, and you're saying, what a wild, wonderful creature to be in quarantine and lockdown. He deserves to be in his natural habitat, and yet religion wants to force God in. Well, we did three key changes. We did a drum roll. When's the Holy Ghost going to show up? We read the Bible. We went through the... When's the... He says, build me a... He inhabits habits he inhabits the habitat of your praise that means when you're home and you don't have a worship team when you're home and you don't have anybody that'll do all the service for you you can open your mouth and call on him and he will build that habitat but the enemy has a habitat too his eternal destiny is weeping and gnashing of teeth he was once in the presence of God helping with worship the very noise of worship was built into his body But he was evicted. He got fired and you got hired, which is why he hates it when you worship. The enemy hates it because he knows that sound is lifting you into God's presence and reminding him he's evicted from God's presence. And so the enemy says, if I can keep weeping and gnashing of teeth in their house, if I can keep them tired and quiet, if I can keep them crying and grinding their teeth through the night, then I can move into a house like that. I can live in an environment of frustration like that. But the very thing the enemy comes to give you that says be small, be quiet, disappear. When you begin to vocalize a worship to God, even when it's hurting and even when it's hard, all of a sudden that worship invites in another presence. And that presence, hear me today, is traumatic to the world of darkness. I said your praise is a trauma to the enemy against your skull, your soul. Every scheme, every fiery dart, every plan, all the arson of the enemy is to get you to be quiet. So when instead of being quiet, when you don't feel anything at all and it's cold in your soul, you start saying praise the Lord, glory to God. I don't feel it, but I give you worship. I'm going to build a habitat all of a sudden now that sounds to the enemy you know what you're saying praise God but to the enemy he hears be small devil because my God is bigger be quiet devil I'm making another noise in this house you know what devil just go ahead and disappear you don't belong here anymore Pentecost is a people that are aggressive about the kingdom of God do you hear me today friend 
Amen. We're not going to come around here tonight, Monday and Tuesday, sit in a circle, sip on some coffee and sing Kumbaya. We're going to go to war. We're going to go to war with worship. We're going to go to war in these altars. And God's going to bring victory. God's going to fill with the Holy Ghost. Oh, it's going to be mighty. Amen. I had a friend in high school. He, he, he is Puerto Rican. His name Noah Chaparro. And he said that when he was maybe 13, we got to know each other real well. He, he said when I was 13, I, I had this, this suicidal thoughts that came on me. He said discouragement just flooded my mind, my heart one day. His mama came by his room. His door was open. And she said, Noah, what's the matter with you? Why do you look sad? If you know Puerto Ricans, they're not real private. They just tell you everything that's going on. He said, Mama, something said, I don't, I just know I'm not loved and I should just commit suicide, that I, I don't even belong here. If that was a white mama, she'd say, Oh, come here, baby. Let's go in the kitchen. I'll make you some brownies. We love you. What did I do wrong? Oh, I'm so sad. I'm so mad. Let's read a book together and go to therapy, but not a Puerto Rican Holy Ghost filled mama. She said, No, Chaparro, you get on your knees and you pray till you're praying in tongues. I'm going to get the oil. I'll be back in a minute. She said, He said, She came back like a tornado. She went through that house and she started anointing the doors and the bed and everything she said oh you foul spirit of suicide who invited you in this house you don't belong here there is an aggressive faith that rises up that says this is the territory of God Whoa. I dare somebody to lay hands on their children while they're asleep hallelujah let your babies wake up here and you talking in tongues my children belong to God my house but this isn't how this is a house a habitat for the Holy Ghost and every other spirit has to be evicted Amen. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. You, you're too old. He's too old. I don't know. I'm looking for somebody little. They're all in kids' church. If something bad happens, if there's an emergency, if mama uh, fell and broke her leg and she can't get to the phone and she needs to go to the hospital, what number would you call? Come on, let me hear it, Bubba. Oh, my, 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 my. That boy's smart. Any of y'all, any of you kids over here know that emergency number? What is it? What is it? 911, these, they knew it too. Man, we live in a generation, people don't know their own phone number, don't know anybody's phone number. But you make sure them babies memorize 911. Why? Because when you need help and you cannot get to help, we live in a country where if you call the right number, help will come to you. The police will come in and break up the disturbance. The fire department will come and put out the fire. And the ambulance will sound the siren and show up at your door and take you out and bring help. And God said, if you are in trouble and you cannot get to help, you feel like you're in hell on earth and you can't climb out of it. I don't have the emotional strength. I don't have the mental strength. I don't even have the spiritual strength to overcome what I'm going through. I wish I could get to help, but I can't. God says, I can bring help to you. I can send a Holy Ghost ambulance to your house. What is the 911 of heaven, Brother Robert? It goes like this. Hallelujah. It's the same in China. Hallelujah. It's the same in Swahili in Tanzania. Hallelujah. You can go anywhere in this world. You can find yourself in any situation. And when you're in trouble, you could be at the lowest part of a crack house about to overdose. Amen. You could be in a, in a devastating moment and just say, hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as you begin to worship, all of a sudden God says, he's building a habitat for me. He's building a place for me to abide. Hallelujah. I just read it just before service that when Paul and Silas were beaten and thrown in jail, the Bible says, with many stripes, Pastor Sean, help me on the music if you would please, with many stripes, 
they were thrown in jail. How many know it wasn't not an American four-star prison like we've got with padded mattresses and television? Their backs are laid open and bleeding. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. An earthquake came. Everyone's bands were loosed. And the prison walls began to come down. I like the preacher that said, God didn't send an earthquake to get them out. God sent the earthquake because he was trying to get in. He was saying, where is their authentic worship? Who is there praising me in the midst of an uncomfortable situation? I can live in the habitat. of Oh, man, I don't know how long they were singing before they heard the siren of heaven. Sending heaven in the middle of that prison. It'll work for you. It'll work for you. Days of Jehoshaphat, two armies came out against, against the people of God. And God said, I will fight this battle for you. So Jehoshaphat said, we don't need swords. We don't need archers. We don't need chariots and horsemen. But we need the choir. Singers, get on the front lines. And as they went forth praising, for the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. All of a sudden, the enemy devoured themselves. Friend, if you're here this morning and you find yourself with silence in your soul, you can begin to play as you feel led, brother. You find yourself with no melody in your heart. You're in the right place. We're not here to stir up those that are already always in, 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 in an atmosphere of worship. We're coming to see God do what he said in Job. He gives a song in the night season. He gives a song in the night season. The Bible said weeping may endure for a night. I think it was William McDowell that said it don't have to endure all night. It may, it may not, because you may go to praising at midnight like Paul and Silas and instead breakthrough come before the night is over. I'll tell you just real quickly about my sister. When I was born, she was two years old. And uh, my parents didn't want her to feel jealous of the new baby that came home from the, from the hospital, so they got her a little baby with all the stuff that went with it. And my two-year-old sister followed my mama around. And anything mama did for me, sissy did for her baby. Mama had her rocking chair and sissy had her rocking chair. And she rocked her baby. Mama changed my diaper. Sissy's right there changing her baby's diaper. And from two years old, she was ready to be a mother. She babysat all my cousins that were young enough until sometimes they called her mama before they called their own mama mama. She loved babies. I didn't want to mess it up for my brother-in-law on their wedding day, but I kind of I kind of knew what was going on. He's just a means to an end. She's happy that she found you, but she's looking forward to some babies. So they've been married a year and a half. I'm at Bible college, and all of a sudden, one day I get a call, and Sissy says, we're expecting. We're going to have a baby. Whoo, that was good news. I was exciting. It was going to be the first grandbaby in our immediate family. I went home for Christmas break. How many know Christmas is boring when it's all old people? Come on, you got the same brand of socks you got for the last seven years. You just It's just boring stuff. Babies come along, it gets exciting. They're chewing on cardboard. They're rolling around in paper. They don't know what's going on, but it's exciting. We thought next year there's going to be a baby around here. Oh, man, I went back to Bible college, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to be a man of faith and power on the front row, every service, every chapel, every, every time we're in church, worshiping God. And I, one day I get a call in January of that year, says your sister's not growing. The doctor says there's something wrong. They sent her for an emergency uh, uh, sonogram. And the sonogram said the femur is not growing right. And that's an indication of spina bifida, Down syndrome, a genetic deformity. 
They did all these tests, amniostesis tests, and they said there's not enough arteries in your umbilical cord and your, your baby is, is starving and suffocating in your womb. The doctor looked at my sister with one call on her life, called to be a mother, and looked at her and said, your womb is a hostile environment for an unborn child. I'm trying to be a man of faith, but I'm instead spending my days at Bible college weeping. Lord, how many are aborting their children that they don't want? And my sister that longs for a baby is sitting here knowing that her baby is suffocating in her womb. I went to a revival on a Tuesday night. It wasn't even my church. I was a visitor. And the preacher preached that night on the power of the word. I went to to the altar because when you need something from God, you don't care if it's your church or not. I didn't meander. I didn't saunter. I practically ran to that altar. He said, bring your Bible and hold on to it and pray for God to speak. As I'm in that altar and I'm seeking God, he said, if you know a verse that that pertains to your situation, go ahead and quote it back to God. I had laid the pages open and already had my hands on the paper. God, we need a word from you. Speak to us. He said, do you know a verse? My mind began to race. Is there any Bible verse about genetic deformity? Is amniostesis, sonogram, spina bifida, down syndrome? I thought, God, your word's outdated. It won't talk to us for this situation. But the Holy Ghost said, look where your hand this I looked down I was at Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and when I got to verse 5 it says this come on tune in right here who can know the ways of the spirit nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child even so thou knowest not the works of God who maketh all Mm, I think you missed the part in the story where the doctor said the problem is the femur's not growing. The femur is the largest bone in the human body. Don't tell me God's word doesn't know how to talk to you where you are. Amen. Amen. He said, I'm in the business of making baby bones grow. I started worshiping. I started shouting. I called mama, sissy, granny. I said, we got a word from the Lord. Amen. We started praising because the baby was healthy. No, because we had a word from God. The doctor said it's worse and we kept on praising. The doctor put her on bed rest and we kept on praising. The doctor put her in the hospital three months early and we kept on praising. The doctor took the baby cesarean months early. We kept on praising. She was born two pounds, one ounce and we kept on praising. She's in the NICU and other incubators are being shut down because their little babies aren't going home alive. And the doctor said don't hold out hope for this one. She probably won't make it. She got down to one pound, 14 ounces. But we kept on praise it because praise is the 911 of heaven it's how you invite God's presence into a place hallelujah oh but three months later my little niece was 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 discharged the doctor had a tear running down his face when he put that baby in my sister's arms and said I never thought this one would make it oh when the specialist didn't know how oh and all the doctors gave up we have a God that'll show up hallelujah when you praise him you invite the presence of the Holy Come on, somebody go to worship in God. Ooh.